Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 112 and today's episode, everyone else is, I'm talking about those three words that we often hear from our children when they are trying to persuade us to do something that we're nearly, we're really not entirely convinced that we want to do. They sort of think that by just telling us that everyone else is that somehow we're going to magically decide that we want to do that. But I also want to tackle everyone else's from two perspectives. We have no doubt heard these words or similar from our children. And maybe you said what I remember my mother saying to me when I was younger. If everyone jumped off a cliff, Mary Han, would you sound familiar? Well, my answer, well, at least in my head anyway, was uh, mum, uh, yes. If it meant I was accepted and fitted in, then 100% I would jump off a cliff. Now, that's potentially the obvious version that we think about when we hear everyone else is. But... What about the silent everyone else is, which we say to ourselves about our parenting? Everyone else has children learning an instrument. Maybe we should push Jack too. Everyone else is tutoring for their SATs or their next exams. Everyone else's babies are sleeping through the night. What are we doing wrong? You know, that one particularly really resonates with me as I remember feeling that my eldest would never sleep through the night, ever. He did. The minute he learned to roll over and sleep on his stomach, he was an absolute angel. But up until that point, everyone else's babies were sleeping through the night. What am I doing wrong? Okay, so we're going to look at it. It's going to be a slight sort of different take on the podcast. So I'm going to give you five top tips, but I'm going to look at it from the perspective of children first. In when they come to us with that everyone, well, children and teens, with that everyone else is. But I also want to look at it from the perspective of us as parents when we silently, quietly in our head, maybe sometimes not always quietly in our head, maybe to our partner, we have this everyone else is doing X, everyone else's children is doing Y. Maybe this is something that we ought to be thinking about as well. So let's start off by looking at it from the perspective of our children. So our children are coming to us, our teens are coming to us and saying, everyone else is staying up late. Everyone else is going to parties. Everyone else is staying up until midnight. Everyone else is having their phones in their bedroom. Whatever it is that your everyone else is, please excuse the clatter and the noise. My dog is choosing to sort of decide how she wants to position herself, but she's insisted that she needs to be right by my side, but she's now finally laid down. So hopefully that's the last time we will hear from our little Coco. Well, actually, I say little Coco. She's a chocolate Labrador. She's not little. All right. Slight distraction. Apologies. So let's talk about the everyone else is from the perspective of when our children and our teens come to us with this. And the first thing that I would say is really understand that the request is likely to come from a place of wanting to be just like everyone else, to be accepted and liked. And it's not necessarily coming from a place of entitlement. I think sometimes we can get quite jarred by it or we can become quite triggered by our children, you know, coming to us with this or like everyone else is. And we sort of think, oh, for goodness sake, not everyone needs to have that, particularly when we're talking about physical things that our children want to have. And so we can often kind of rile against that because we think they're acting in in an entitled, privileged, I should have kind of way. But really, at the root of that comment, everyone else is, is simply this sort of notion of, I want to fit in. I want to be like everyone else. Please let me do that. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be different. 
And of course, our children are seeing it through their lens. They're not discerning enough to be able to see that there are a whole host of other children who don't have what they're talking about or aren't able to do what they are requesting that we do. But their lenses, you know, it's this idea of we tend to selectively focus. And so when we are obsessed, so let me give you an example. When I was younger, I wanted these sort of green stripe trainers. Obviously, they're not very fashionable now, but they were monumentally fashionable when I was younger. I felt that everyone else, everyone else had a pair. I didn't have a pair. I wanted a pair. It wasn't fair. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be like everyone else. Now, of course, when you're looking at things from that lens, you are likely to notice more the people who have them on and you are much less likely to notice those that don't have them on. And it's potentially could be could have been 50-50. Do you know what? I can't actually remember. But because my attention was very much focused on the trainers, that is all that I saw. So my perspective, my viewpoint, my lens was that everybody I came across had one of those, had a pair of those trainers and I wanted one. I wanted to be the same. I wanted to fit in. It it might not, not fundamentally change the way, the decision that we make in the end, but it may well fundamentally make shift how we approach it with our children, the language that we use, because you know, I talk a lot about this this idea about trying to be kind and compassionate and really trying to place ourselves in the sh- in the shoes of our children so that we can really meet them at where they're experiencing the world. And it means that if we can if we can kind of keep that in our viewpoint, if we can really try and step into understanding that their request comes from a place of wanting to fit in and be like everyone else. When we say no, then we can do it from a space of, I really understand that this is important to you. It feels like everyone else has got it. And you want to be the same as anyone else. You want to be liked. You want to be part of this particular group that possesses this or that goes to this party or enjoys these activities. But the reason why we're saying no is, and then there's an explanation around it. So I I think it's just really trying to place ourselves in that perspective and understanding where that request comes from. So that's the first thing I think is really important because that helps us frame everything that we do, everything that we say and how we then frame our yes or even our no. That's number one. Number two is when we're having a conversation with our children or our teens about it is that we really need to acknowledge what it means to our child and how important it is for them regardless of the final decision that we make, whether that's a yes or whether that's a no. We want to acknowledge in the same way that I talk about managing big emotions and how it's really important that we meet our child where they're at. And we we label the emotion. We explain how we can understand that that's how that they're feeling in that moment. How, and, and then however, you know, I can see that you're angry and you're frustrated that I've said it's time for bed. You feel like it's far too early and that you'd love to spend a bit more time staying up and you're enjoying, you want to watch one more episode and you can't understand why, you know, I'm being so mean and saying it's time to go to bed. That's really placing myself in a position of my child and really trying to kind of use the language and articulate things from their perspective. And by doing that, what that means is, our children at the basic level feel that they've been heard rather than being shut down because sometimes it can be like I've said no it's not happening that's the end of it rather than I know that this is really important to you now that doesn't mean that our children and our teens are still not going to get frustrated if we do say no you know you're always saying no you're so mean and of course they're going to they they may well still say that but at least we've really tried to meet them where they're at we've really tried to explain that we understand why it's really important to them And then we can have an explanation as to why we've made that decision. 
And equally, if we've made the decision that we're going to say yes, I equally think it's important to explain, you know, I get why this is really important to you. And on that basis, we've made the decision that you are able to have that. So first of all is understand that the request is likely to come from a place of wanting to be just like everyone else. The second really crucial thing that we do, regardless of the decision we make, is that we acknowledge what that request means to our child and how important it is to them. The third one is please, 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 please avoid lecturing and the whole sheep analogy or jumping off a cliff. It's likely to create more arguments than resolving the issue. Again, it comes from that place of not meeting our children where they're at or our teens where they're at, but simply in this sort of slightly superior air of, well, you'll understand that these things are not important and and it doesn't really matter what trainers you're wearing or what coat you have or whether you get invited to the party. Because in that moment, in that period of time, that space that is your child's life, it is everything to them and lecturing them and going down that route of if everyone jumps off a cliff and stop being a sheep stop being a follower be a leader there's merit in that of course there is we want our children to make their own decisions but that's not helpful in that moment in that moment our children are caught up in that real emotion and that absolute burning desire to fit in and to be part of everything else, that lecturing them just diminishes them and how they feel and just means that they're much less likely to come to you with challenges about other things because they just feel that you don't understand. You're just doing that lecturing thing and you're approaching it from a standard parent of, you know, in, in a child's and a teen's perspective is you always say no, you don't care, you don't understand. And as much as we can try and explain to our children that we were once that that age, we once desired things, we were not necessarily always allowed them, and we understand how important it is, our children still just can't quite understand that we were ever in that position or that we can ever relate. So we're absolutely not going to be viewed as relating to them in any shape or form if we launch into lecture mode. So let's avoid that lecturing even if we might be supremely tempted because our child is a child that repeatedly comes to us and says everyone else is. In their lens, in their focus, that's what they believe. Let's not lecture, let's just acknowledge. The fourth thing, and this is really the kind of, when we then start having conversations with our children about our reasons for saying no, is really focus our response and our communication with our children based on having a focus that every family is different. Every family has different rules and has different values. And explain your objection to everyone else is and how this objection might change. So you're explaining your objection based on the rules and the values that you operate in within your family. So it may well be that you're objecting to your child having their mobile phone in their room. You know, I see how it's really important and I I get that you feel really upset that we're saying no because it feels like all of your friends have got their phones in their bedrooms and they're communicating with each other and messaging about things that you're not able to do because we have a rule in our house that our mobile phones get handed in at nine o'clock and we put them away downstairs so that they're charging. And I really get that you feel that you're missing out and that others are, you know, that there are in-jokes and you're not part of that. However, this family really values the ability to connect as a family 
and that we spend this bit of time after we put our devices on charge and we connect before we go to bed and our family really places a great deal of value on being able to switch off and have that dedicated space and time on our own when we go up to our bedrooms and that's the reason why we're objecting or something of that similar ilk it's really trying to focus in on the fact that every family is different that every family has these different values and beliefs in the way that they operate and how your objection to it is based on and aligned with those values And if your objection may change in the future, explain to your child how and why it might change. So it might be a not now, it may be a never, or it may be a you're not ready yet, in which case it's about communicating what might they need to do to demonstrate or be able to do to show that they're responsible. So that might be that they need to show that they're responsible possibly for you to feel comfortable for them to have a particular social platform. Maybe they need to demonstrate that they're reliable to be able to stay later at parties. Maybe they need to demonstrate that they can get their schoolwork completed without battles so that you can then, as an offset then, to stay up late on a Friday night. Whatever that might be, it's about communicating and having that discussion so that you focus on your response being very much couched in that every family is different I understand that it feels like everyone else is doing but each family places their own value and makes their their rules based on the values that they have and in this family this is the value that we place we're not saying that you can't have it you will need to demonstrate x y z or it may well be in this particular rule this particular scenario We're really, we have a very strong view and that is going to be, that is just going to be a no. We're never going to have that situation. And in terms of particularly around sort of mobile phones and devices in bedrooms, which you know I feel extremely strongly about shouldn't be the case. And I think we, and I believe that as parents, we should be modelling that by not having our own devices in our bedrooms. So that makes it much easier to talk about it being a value within our family because there are no contradictions there may be contradictions because it may well be that either you or your partner has a job that requires them to be on call in some way and to be able to be contacted via emergencies and then in those circumstances we can explain why you know either ourselves or our partner has that that there's an exception for that in particular you know it's really talking about it from that alignment perspective and then having conversations with them about whether they have to demonstrate something in order to be able to have what everyone else is having. One of the things that I talked quite openly with both of my children around not having devices in our, in bedrooms was that, that, it, that it was absolutely a no until they reached adulthood. And when they reached adulthood at 18, they were then able to make the decision for themselves whether they had their mobile devices in their bedrooms. I strongly believed that they should not continue to, you know, that they should continue with the values that we have and the rule that we have within the house pre-18, pre-adulthood, but that they got to choose when they were older. And so that's how I managed that particular one. So it was a, it was not going to happen while they were not an adult because that was my responsibility and I felt very strongly and I felt that it was a really important thing to do. Now, I will say that both my children do sleep with their mobile phones in their bedroom. I do not. I'm not a big fan. They know how I feel, but I have to concede that they are now adults and they get to choose. 
periodically they do go through phases where they say gosh you're absolutely right I really shouldn't and then they'll suddenly have a purge for a couple of weeks where they leave their mobile phones downstairs my children are not always necessarily at home all of the time because of university and other things but they are making they're having to make their own decisions and I have to be respectful of that they're 18 they're adults now I'm not I can't in that regard insist I can insist on other things in terms of values that we have within the family of everyone helping and contributing towards preparing the table for dinner and tidying up afterwards because that's a privilege that comes and is a responsibility of part of sharing a home but there are some things that you will make a decision about what you will do with your children but it is really about focusing in on your response based on your family values so it's understanding the request that everyone else is comes from a place of wanting to be just like everyone else acknowledging what it means to your child and how important it is avoiding lecturing and then focusing our response and couching it um, in this on this basis that every family is different and then the fifth and final thing when we get the everyone else is from the perspective of our children is you may wish to consider a monthly allowance for your child. This way you get that, you know, they get to save up for the physical things that they say everyone else is, everyone else has, and then they get to make some choices. Now, of course, the everyone else is is not always related to physical possessions, but there's quite a bit that is. And by considering a monthly allowance for our children, that, that can then help them explain to them that actually if you feel that that's something that you want because you believe everyone else is, then you can make the choice to make that purchase with your allowance. I've talked about allowances previously, but what I will say is I don't believe that allowances should be linked to chores. My view is that the upkeep of a home is the responsibility of everyone who uses it and that we shouldn't be paid for doing that. It's something that we do automatically. We all get to use, you know, the kitchen in lots of ways because that's where our food is prepared. We get to sit at the table to be able to eat. We get to sit and um, in our sitting room or lounge or whatever, snug, whatever you call it. And we watch our television or we play on our devices, you know, and we use our bedrooms. So it's all about contribution. It's about giving back because we co- we all contribute to the upkeep of the house. So I don't think that, that an allowance should be related to that. I have no objection in us offering our children a financial incentive as in if you will wash the car I will pay you x if you do and these are extra things that our children might do that we might offer them a financial reward for have no problem with that at all I just believe that children are much better given a monthly allowance a weekly allowance and then they're free to choose and I think that's a great way in teaching them some responsibility about money and also for them to understand what money is able to allow them to do and how they can best treat it and that's you know there's a whole separate podcast episode specifically on encouraging children to have a good relationship with money so I won't go into the details of that but certainly from an everyone else is a financial aspect of everyone else's you might want to consider a monthly allowance and then you defer your child you know you refer your child back to well you have a monthly allowance if that's what you want how long will it take you to save up or a weekly allowance how long will it take you to save up is that something that you want to do you can pull it together with some of the birthday money you might have so that's the perspective of looking at it from our children I think the parenting side when we consider that everyone else is is heightened by our not knowing exactly what the line is 
of accepting our children for who they are, so not forcing things, and pushing them out of their comfort zone to become the best possible version of themselves. And that's not an easy one to be super clear on. So when we get caught up in this notion of everyone else's, it usually comes from a place of, I don't know, let me, I'll give you some personal experiences. So it's that whole, I don't know, you're picking up your children and you realise that all sorts of children, other children are doing all sorts of different activities and they're flourishing. Maybe they're doing judo and they're doing swimming and they're in some sort of photography club or whatever it might be. And you suddenly sort of say to yourself, gosh, I pick up my children every day from school. I just take them home and they play. Hmm. Are they missing out on opportunities? Am I being a bit bit of a soft touch? You know, all of these other children seem to be supremely confident because they're taking on all of these additional activities and and that child can speak two languages and that child's getting extra tutoring and they seem to be doing really well academically and that child is doing like a hockey club or and then we just get caught up in this whole kind of, we then come home and then we might be slightly short-tempered or short-fused with our children because we're thinking you don't do anything you just come home and you say you're bored and your friend Jack is doing this this and this or something of that ilk it might not play out that way but you know exactly what I mean we get caught up suddenly in a maybe I really should be pushing my child and maybe your child is really content in who they are and we've been just sort of saying we've been thinking do you know what coming home and playing is really important I don't think that you don't need to engage in all these extra activities But we suddenly get caught up in this, like, well, everyone else is. Maybe my child is missing out. And I think it genuinely can be a really difficult thing for us to work out as to, actually, am I just letting my child coast? And as they become an adult, they're going to be thinking all of these opportunities that they've missed out on because we didn't push them. Or is it simply that actually I'm just I'm I'm just doing the right thing for my child and 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 actually that's okay. So it's this fine line of what where should we be sat on that? So I've got five things that I've come up specifically for that. And the first thing I would say in terms of helping us work out where is that line? Do we push and are we because we're allowing our child to sit in their comfort zone or actually are we allowing our child to be who they really are? Is the first thing we need to do is draw ourselves back to the uniqueness of our children. When we get caught in that everyone else is and that comparison thing, we're so caught up in the what the other children are doing and therefore likely to be achieving and the outcome of what they're doing that what we need to do is pull ourselves right back to the uniqueness of our children. So really thinking about my child... What is really unique about them? What are the qualities that they have about about themselves? Because what we're trying to do is reconnect to our child so we can then make a better decision about what the next steps might be and whether we need to temper our everyone else's or actually whether it's a case of, actually, this is something that we need to step up to a little bit more. We have to go back to what's the child that I have here not the child I want to raise and is the thing that I'm comparing my child to that everyone else is doing is that consistent with the direction that my child ought to be in because actually that's part of who they are and and the way that they're working towards or is it simply I'm trying to fit a square hole in a round peg a round peg in a square hole even
Yeah, that's what we really want to be trying to do. And we can only do that if we strip ourselves right back. So if you've got a child, for example, who is phenomenally creative. So, and, and creativity can be all sorts of things. You can be really mathematical and creative, but your child is, is really, it's in their element in their, in in creativity, whether that's drama, whether that's literature and writing, whether that's drawing, whether that's acting out, whether that's making things, whether that's Lego, whatever that is, for example. And actually, whilst they can be a little, they can be physical and they don't mind racing around the garden a little bit. And yeah, they'll jump on a trampoline, but they don't really have any passion around team sports. And then you discover that a lot of their friends are in sports clubs or they're doing sports activities or they're part of teams. And then you kind of go, well, my child ought to be doing something like that. If that's not an inherent part of your child because you've taken yourself right back to the uniqueness of your child, then forcing them into a team sport and making them do team sports might not be the right thing for them. Yes, of course, it teaches them teamwork and some of the creativity and the activities that they like might not necessarily create that same sort of collaborative team thing, but it that just might not be right for your child. That competitive sport aspect is may just not be right for your child but it doesn't necessarily stop you from creating a habit and an understanding that physical activity is really important it keeps our brain active it makes us feel energized and actually it's a really great process as part of creativity for really kind of channeling that so what you may do by focusing in on the uniqueness of your child is really think at this moment in time, pushing my child to do a team sport just because everyone else is, actually isn't right for my child. But what is really right for my child is they understand that it's really important to have some some form of physical activity in their life because that's a really important part of physical and emotional well-being. So rather than always coming home and then we just vegetate and they get caught up in that creative space, we also need to stress the importance of doing something physical. So we're going to incorporate that. So we, we really look at tailoring what's important for our child on their uniqueness and their personal attributes and their qualities rather than getting sucked into the everyone else's. So that's number one. Number two is always give yourself 48 hours. Do you still feel the same? about that everyone else is and you really should get your child doing it because otherwise they're missing out? Or was it just a momentary comparison judgment? And actually having sat with it for two days, having reflected and drawn yourself back to the uniqueness of your child, you understand that actually you just got slightly sucked in and it really isn't something that you need to be addressed. So that's number two. The third one is ask yourself lots of why questions. Do you remember when your children, maybe your children are in this stage? I always remember my children going through that stage of why we need to go up and brush our teeth now why because it's really important that our teeth are nice and clean before we go to sleep why because it's a hygiene thing to make sure that we take off all of the food that might be sitting on on our teeth why so we can avoid then our teeth then becoming decayed why and you'd be like because I just said so or whatever it is but I want you to do exactly the same so this idea of everyone else is tutoring their child, so I think we should be tutoring our child. Why? Because otherwise I think they're going to be disadvantaged if they haven't done if they haven't done that. Why? Because they might not get into the right school or they might underperform. Why? Well, because then they might feel embarrassed and shamed. Why? 
actually maybe I might feel embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, so it's really, when we ask ourselves these constant why, why, why questions, sometimes the root of the everyone else is, is actually that we want to fit in, that we don't want other parents to judge us. We don't want other parents to feel that we're not doing the best for our children. And it's that whole judgment aspect and fitting in that's exactly the same that drives our children's everyone else's. So ask yourself lots and lots of why questions because that will really help you work out whether this is right for your child or whether this is about you feeling that you're doing a good job as a parent. So the first one is draw yourself back to the uniqueness of your child. The second one is give yourself 48 hours. Do you still feel the same or not? The third one is ask yourself lots of why questions. The fourth one is reconnect with your values and the adult you want your child to become. Does the everyone else's thing that you've suddenly got your bee in a bonnet about that you think you ought to be doing, does that connect with your values as a family? Does that connect with the values that you have around raising your child to become this resilient adult? If it does, then keep asking those why questions to make sure that it's the right thing to do and that uniqueness with your child and then give yourself 48 hours. But we really need to reconnect because so much of these things that we feel that we should be doing so often are not connected to our values, but we find ourselves being sucked into. So that's number four. And the fifth one is connect with your tribe. Talk through what you're thinking, what you're feeling and what you're finding yourself getting sucked into with other like-minded people. The tribe, the people that you go to when you're being supremely honest about the challenges that you're having as parents. You know, as being a parent, your great friends, the people that you can be really open and honest with. And if you have not got a tribe, find one. There will be other parents that will be operating with the same values as you, wanting the same thing that you want to, that are not getting sucked into the everyone else's tutoring, everyone else is doing a second language, everyone else is doing a musical instrument, everyone else is having, is doing extra work in the summer holidays. Whatever it might be, there will be others and you need, it's so crucial when we parent, that we connect with our tribe because that that's our sanity. That's so kind of important. So the fifth one is connecting with your tribe. So let's just recap the five for parenting. Draw yourself back to the uniqueness of your child. Give yourself 48 hours. Ask yourself lots of why questions. Reconnect with your values and the adult you want your child to become. And connect with your tribe and talk through what you're going through and that process of your thinking. Now, this is quite a bumper episode with two kind of aspects there. So the give this week is going to be the five strategies across two separate sheets. So one for the children. So what do we do when our children come to us with that everyone else, everyone else is? And then that reminder of the top strategies for us when we're thinking everyone else is and we're in this blind panic. So you can use them to reflect a little bit, make some notes about which ones that you're working on. And it can serve as that kind of reminder as well as the practical tool. So as usual, head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. 
All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would be eternally grateful. I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. 